0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. We are all familiar with the spread of disinformation on social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. But just when we thought we'd seen the worst of it, along comes TikTok. What started out as an app for dance challenges and musical duets has, in recent times, emerged as one of the most concerning tools for amplifying political propaganda and lies. What does this mean in a country like the Philippines, commonly described as the social media capital of Southeast Asia? What impact is social media, and particularly TikTok, having on political affairs in the Philippines? To talk to us about social media and political propaganda in the Philippines, I am joined by Maria Elise Mendoza, Assistant Professor at the Department of Political Science, University of the Philippines, Diliman. Elise researches Philippine local politics, the politics of education, and the relationship between social media and political participation, and she teaches on Philippine politics and social, economic, and political thought. Elise, thank you for joining us on CX Stories. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. So Filipinos are ranked second in the world in terms of time spent on the internet. And around 99% of Filipinos who use the internet also own a Facebook account, making it the most popular social media platform in the country. How does TikTok fit into this social media landscape?
0: TikTok was introduced in 2017. And back then it was Mainly used for entertainment purposes. I'm sure that you've seen some of popular TikTok videos. And in the Philippines, TikTok boomed in terms of its popularity during the COVID 19 pandemic because naturally people were stuck in their homes and the Philippine government imposed very strict lockdown policies, which really Made an impact on how Filipinos use the internet. And the data also show that Filipinos' use of the internet increased significantly during the pandemic. So when it was introduced in 2017, TikTok was used for entertainment purposes, as I mentioned earlier. But in the Philippines, where social media platforms easily gain traction because of quite the natural inclination of Filipinos to hop in the social media trends, TikTok became extremely popular not only for its entertainment but also for how it was used for political purposes. Especially come the 2022 elections.
1: We'll come to how it was used in the in the elections in 2022 and perhaps even in 2016 elections. But first, I wanted to ask you about the particular features of TikTok that distinguish it from other social media apps. What makes TikTok so popular? What are the particular sort of quirks of this platform? It offers that are unique to TikTok.
0: So, I mentioned these features in the short article that I wrote on the political use of TikTok. That TikTok's popularity can be attributed to the following factors. First, it thrives on short form content. So, contents on TikTok are usually 15 seconds to three minutes. So, it is Quite popular for young audiences or even a bit older because of the short attention span needed to consume TikTok content. So, TikTok videos are usually, by average, around a minute long. So, it's easy to switch from one video to another. And in relation to TikTok's short form contents, the homepage of TikTok, when you open the app, the so called For You page, which is the personalized homepage of TikTok. It has this endless scrolling feature wherein you can just endlessly scroll from one video to another and the chances of you getting similarly themed videos is very high because of the algorithm that TikTok prepares for you. And another thing that makes TikTok popular, especially among younger audiences, is how it can integrate pop culture into the videos because TikTok allows its users to put background music, and to put all sorts of graphic effects on the videos. So in short, TikTok's algorithm prepares similarly themed videos, collates them in a personalized homepage, which is particularly catered to the user's liking. So if a user engages with several posts, there is a high chance that you would see posts of similar nature or similar themes in the next videos that you scroll. And the time that you spend on TikTok flies by so fast because that's exactly the design of the platform, which is quite different from Facebook and Twitter or even YouTube.
1: Yeah, so you've mentioned this short form. It's usually about a minute, but no more than three minutes. It's got this duet function where you can have your self-filmed alongside a a video that's already been uploaded. And the algorithm is incredibly clever at curating content to your fancy. One of the other things you mentioned that I just like to pick up on there is that you said it's not just for the younger generation. How popular is it for older generations? Are they using it? Are they watching it? Are they uploading content?
0: From my personal experience, because I also uh, use TikTok not to create videos, but more of to observe and to look at trending content. From my experience, the older generation usually used to hop on the trends such as dance challenges. But it is really the younger generation that could be called as the trendsetters. And then the older generation would just usually hop in and try out those dances that are usually popular on TikTok. And I think the popularity of TikTok among the older generation can be seen in how TikTok videos are also posted in other social media platforms. I forgot to mention in my previous answer that TikTok allows its users to download the videos directly from the app and save them on their phones. So you can upload TikTok videos wherever you want, such as Facebook, Instagram, Stories, or even Twitter. And I think the exposure of the older generation to TikTok videos would usually come from the cross-posting of content in these other platforms.
1: So you mentioned the article that you wrote about the emergence of TikTok as a platform for political propaganda in the Philippines and and the article for anyone who's interested in, in looking at it is called Dance, Duet and Disinformation, which I love and it's about the political use of TikTok. And in this article you share a video that appeared to show President Ferdinand Marcos making predictions for the Philippines. What was it that struck you about this video?
0: I think the striking features of this video is not really the content itself, because if you look at the video, it's a black and white video of former President Ferdinand Marcos Sr. speaking, like delivering a speech or maybe a press conference. And then an audio was placed on top of the video, but that audio is obviously fake, because if you would listen to the actual speeches, former speeches of the former president and dictator, then you would know that the audio that was placed on top of the video is not his voice. And I'm not particularly struck by the content because it's a useful conspiracy theory wherein the former president was making predictions about the Philippines rising again through the victory of popular Philippine boxer Manny Pacquiao. What struck me the most would be the comments on the post. I don't think these comments are sarcastic. Because the comments would say that, wow, former President Marcos is like Nostradamus. His prophecy came true. The Philippines became popular again because of boxing champion Manny Pacquiao. And I scrolled through the comments, and these are not out of place comments, but more of the useful comments that the people who are commenting on the video apparently believe that the one who's speaking is actually the former president. So it's striking because it shows how the lack of authenticating can actually lead people to believe such edited videos that are spread on platforms such as TikTok.
1: Now, this is quite a popular theme when it comes to disinformation, these videos that suggest a a golden age of Philippines politics. What other sort of popular disinformation topics are we seeing on TikTok? In the
0: Philippines, and I think also all over the world, COVID 19 conspiracy theories have been widespread on TikTok, but then just recently, TikTok did something regarding these conspiracy theories that they mark videos related to COVID as COVID related so that people would know. The nature of the videos. COVID-19 conspiracy theories are popular, not just in the Philippines, but also all over the world. But in the Philippines in particular, it's more of the so-called golden age of the Philippines during the time of Ferdinand Marcos Sr., the martial law period, as we call it in the Philippines. And also, it's full of disinformation when it comes to the accountabilities of the Marcos family the human rights violations committed during martial law, and the so-called achievements of former President Marcos Sr. These videos try to twist facts and they try to remove the context behind certain projects of former President Marcos. For example, there are some videos that question the legal proceedings or the legal decisions that were already released against the marcoses particularly pertaining to their ill-gotten wealth the corruption the human rights violations so these are supposed to be facts because they are already legal decisions supreme court decisions international court decisions but there are some videos that attempt to twist the facts in these legal court decisions and thus ultimately shed doubt on the Atrocities committed during the time. So that's an example. And then, for example, in terms of the infrastructure, while it's true, it's very true that there were a lot of bridges, buildings, hospitals built during the time of Marcos Sr., these TikTok videos glorify these infrastructure in such a way that no other president has ever done this. It is only during the time of Marcos Sr. that these structures were built in the Philippines. Other presidents could not compare. But they removed the context that these projects were funded by foreign debt, in turn, caused the Philippine economy to collapse later on. So those are the types of disinformation narratives that are propagated in relation to the Marcoses.
1: And so who's behind them? who is producing this political propaganda and to what purpose
0: interestingly you cannot really trace these political propaganda to the marcoses or to anyone from their official team it's apparently ordinary users who produce these videos and i think that's also one of the things that make tiktok different from facebook and youtube that in TikTok, anyone can produce a trending video. Anyone, the size of one's network does not really matter. On TikTok, as long as you use the correct hashtags, as long as you place a popular music track on the video, you can reach vast audiences. And that's coming from ordinary users. Unlike in Facebook and YouTube, you have to have a lot of followers. You have to have a lot of subscribers in order for your videos to go viral or to amass a large number of views so in tiktok interestingly if you look at the videos they are not produced by the marcos family directly they are more produced by their supporters however while there is no concrete proof yet that these videos or these producers were paid to produce them evidence from the 2016 election show that ordinary users or influencers social media influencers can be tapped and can be paid by political campaigns to make some sort of authentic-looking content, organically-looking content that would be more engaging to people. But at first look, if you would check the videos, if you would check the user profiles of those who upload this disinformation, you would see that they're just ordinary Filipinos
1: making TikTok videos. So how does social media use compare with more traditional media use in terms of political participation then? First, we define political
0: participation. So political participation, it is commonly understood as activities by ordinary citizens that are directed towards influencing outcomes, particularly political outcomes in society. And in defining political participation, there are some who choose to categorize it into traditional and non-traditional forms of political participation, so, traditional forms of political participation, the most popular one, of course, would be casting one's vote in elections, while non traditional forms of political participation would include discussions of political events. And because of the undeniable popularity of social media around the world, activities classified as political participation have also been classified in terms of offline and online activities. There are Offline political participation activities such as voting, attending political campaigns, donating to political campaigns, and there are also newer forms, non-traditional forms of political participation that are possible online such as commenting on political posts, uh, signing online petitions, creating political groups, engaging in these political groups, etc. So in terms of the question on how traditional media helps or fosters political participation, I would say that it's more of top-down because there is really no mechanism for the audience, the ones who receive information from these traditional media, to provide their feedback or to engage with politicians or people in power. So it's more of a top-down consumption of information. But traditional media can possibly foster political participation by increasing political awareness because when you say traditional media such as TV, radio, newspapers, people can learn more about political activities uh, through these platforms and then What they do with that information is quite up to them, while in social media, it has enabled a two-way process between the ordinary citizens and those people in power whom they want to engage with, whom they want to articulate their demands to. It has enabled newer forms of political participation. People can engage not only with people in power, but they can also engage with fellow citizens almost seamlessly, which is quite difficult to do with additional media such as
1: TV or the radio. So we've seen the presidential elections that took place in the Philippines this year, 2022. What role did social media and in particular TikTok play in the campaign of Bong, Bong Marcos Jr.?
0: As I mentioned earlier, the types of political participation that is possible through the consumption of information from traditional media, these are usually the mainstream ones such as voting, attending political rallies or campaigns, etc. For some contexts, In the Philippines, we have witnessed in 1986 how traditional media, particularly the radio, has been used to mobilize people into action. It was in 1986 when the former Roman Catholic Archbishop of Manila, Jaime Cardinal Sin, called on people through the radio station named Radio Veritas which is operated by the Archdiocese of Manila, troop to EDSA. EDSA, E-D-S-A, is a major thoroughfare in the country, and it has been the site or the main venue of the so-called 1986 People Power Revolution, which then led to the ouster of former President Marcos Sr. So this is one of uh, key moments, key events in Philippine politics where we have seen how Traditional media, such as radio, can be used to mobilize people, and it was used by an influential person such as the Archbishop of Manila and millions of Filipinos trooped to EDSA upon hearing his call through the radio. And as for new media, this was also prominent in another key event in Philippine history, particularly during the 2001 protests against former President Joseph Estrada, who was also removed from office in January 2001 people were mobilized to go to EDSA again, the site of the first people power, just like in 1986. And in 1986, it was through the radio. In 2001, it was through text messages. Both local and international media have reported that millions of text messages were sent to mobilize people to go to EDSA. So I think this is an important prelude to what would be the eventual importance and prominence of newer forms of media in Philippine politics. And now... Despite the slow internet speeds and lags in telecommunication infrastructure, Filipinos are really drawn to digital media, to the internet, to social media, and there is a good explanation behind this. And one of them would be the high population of Filipinos who are working as migrant workers abroad and the use of media. There's a high demand for the use of these new media because of the need for migrant workers to keep in touch with their families, either through text messages or in more recent times through video calls or Facebook Messenger. So there's a systemic factor behind the demand for the use of digital media in the Philippines. So with this, it no longer comes as a surprise that social media use would be used extensively especially given previous events in history that have actually led Filipinos to mobilize themselves. Apart from this, communication companies in the Philippines actually promote the use of social media because here people use the internet usually through prepaid packages. And the 2016 elections was dubbed as the first social media elections. It is from a study by Sin Peng, which looked at the prominence of former President Rodrigo Duterte in social media and how social media was used in his campaign. So the 2016 elections is seen as the first social media elections because of the extensive, highly extensive use of Facebook during this time. TikTok was not yet a thing, but it was through Facebook that Duterte supporters mobilized themselves, expressed their political opinions. The use of Facebook during the 2016 elections is regarded as a crucial factor behind the victory of former President Rodrigo Duterte because he was a city mayor, a long-time city mayor, who didn't really have a national popularity, but it was through social media that his supporters were able to amplify his campaign messages and it eventually led to his victory.
1: I should point out that that study you're referring to was actually conducted by Thailand country coordinator and a researcher here at the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre Dr. Aim Simpang. Yeah, as you mentioned. So how did that change in 2022 once TikTok had become more popular and how did it influence Bong Bong's campaign So, from 2016 to as
0: early as 2019, people have already seen, politicians, campaign teams have already seen the potential of social media in political campaigns. So, a lot of them tried to mimic Duterte's social media popularity. In 2022, not only was Facebook and YouTube use amplified, but TikTok came into the picture because it was a very, very popular platform in the Philippines. So, I think it's quite sensible to say that if you have already seen, Facebook, and YouTube as effective campaign tools. If you were someone running a political campaign, you would most likely also explore other popular platforms, and TikTok apparently is one of them. And data would show that TikTok is actually the third most used social media application in the country, Facebook, YouTube, and then TikTok. So anyone who's running a political campaign or anyone who has hired a Marketing or advertising professionals to help them run their campaigns would, I think, naturally explore TikTok as a platform to campaign for their chosen candidates because of its popularity among Filipinos. And with the campaign of Bongbong Marcos, Bongbong Marcos himself has a TikTok account. But interestingly, if you do a quick search, if you do a quick scan of pro-Bongbong Marcos contents on TikTok, it is from ordinary users, from his supporters, that the most popular TikTok videos pertaining to him. So if you would also check the number of views the number of engagements among the different presidential candidates on TikTok, Bongbong Marcos and his family would be the most popular ones in terms of likes, in terms of engagements, in terms of comments. So I believe this really added to the visibility of Bongbong Marcos's campaign, even if the contents, the popular contents,
1: did not necessarily come from him. So we can see how powerful these apps have the potential to be. I mean, they've played such a key role in two presidential elections now in the Philippines and I'm sure they will continue to be very influential in the future. What can we do about it? I mean, are we fighting a losing battle against disinformation on social media or are there actually steps that governments or private initiatives or or individuals can take to combat this flow of disinformation?
0: Right now, I can't say that we have lost already, but it's really a very, very difficult battle at present to counter disinformation on social media here in the Philippines. On the part of the Philippine government, there's really not much action when it comes to countering disinformation spread on social media. I don't know if it's because they don't really see it as a problem or maybe because some of them benefited from it. But the proposals to criminalize the peddling of fake news, they really didn't gain much traction. So there have been private initiatives, individual initiatives, collective initiatives to counter disinformation through fact-checking. So there have been uh, multiple civil society organizations that have launched fact-checking initiatives in order to counter lies spread on social media. But obviously, these are not enough unless there are also effort on the part of social media platforms to help counter disinformation. On the part of social media platforms or social media companies, they have been criticized not only in the Philippines, but also around the world for their content moderation policies. Like in Facebook, I have personally tried to report misleading information, but then the report was turned down that it does not violate community guidelines. So these kinds of actions or lack of action from social media companies is really frustrating because... Private citizens are attempting to report misleading content, but then they turn it down. So the accountability now lies on them. And also, social media platforms are not that aggressive when it comes to taking down accounts that spread disinformation, not only in terms of politics, but also COVID-19 or other offensive contents. So there needs to be more action on the part of the government, on the part of social media platforms to be more proactive in taking down misleading or offensive content. Because obviously private initiatives to fact check are not enough. Apart from that, there's a big structural problem actually that needs to be solved also. But what I am saying is the hiring of internet trolls uh which has become a lucrative industry in the in the Philippines and this has been revealed in a study entitled Architects of Network Disinformation which revealed that disinformation has actually become professionally structured marketing professionals advertising professionals work on disinformation campaigns they hire influencers or underpaid digital workers in order to act as trolls on the internet and for digital workers who do not earn much this is an opportunity for them to earn more. This is a big structural problem that needs to be solved because if people can earn money from this kind of industry, trolling, spreading fake news, spreading lies, then it's quite difficult to take them away from these practices. On the part of the government, there has to be some action when it comes to solving this wage problem among Filipino workers, especially those who work as digital workers.
1: Yes, that's right. People need to be disincentivized to draw their income from these sort of practices because, you know, as you say, it is a very lucrative and easy way for people to make money, unfortunately, with such serious consequences politically. Elise, thank you so much for joining us on the Act Stories and sharing your really fascinating research with us, much more insidious than just dances and duets, as you point out. Thank you, Natalie. You've been listening to Act Stories. Brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.